crashing, hit a wall. Right now, I need a miracle. Hurry up now, I need a miracle. Stranded, reaching out. I call your name, but you're not around. I say your name, but you're not around. I need you, I need you, I need you right now. So don't let me down. Don't let me down. Who's that? The Chainsmokers. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, man. A a poetic uh, rendition. Yeah, it totally works. It totally works. (laughs) Thanks so much, Devin. appreciate that, man. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, it's good to have you. Uh, I like doing these shows that are slightly different than uh, typical construction conversations, but I always said that the show is about, you know, the construction industry, but also the person. So obviously there's a lot of Portuguese, a lot of Europeans in construction, so they're going to be relating to what we're going to talk about. You got an interesting story to share, which I'm very fascinated about. So we're going to just get right into it. I mean, let me, uh, I got to share your deeds. So Devin Morales, uh, your Instagram is at Lusolooney. And then the website is www.lusolooney.ca. And then you can email your DM you uh, either through Instagram or through your website, right? Yep. And then these are your first two books that you've written? That's right. Okay. So uh, we'll get we'll get right into that. Let me do a quick shout out to uh, Dimitri. I got his hoodie on today from Pure Motivation Fitness. Uh, I got to get him back on the show. And he actually sent me a message the other day about another person that was in his gym working out with him uh, that wanted to come on the show. So it's just like, that's the beauty of having a podcast. Everyone's always thinking of me and trying to get on the show, which is great. It's just a matter of scheduling it. Uh, so Dimitri, it's all good. To, it's always good to talk to you. Unleash your voice on the Construction Life podcast community. Are you passionate about the world of construction, trades, and all things building related? The Construction Life Podcast wants to hear from you. Leave us a review, share your thoughts, insights, and experiences on your favorite podcast channel. Your review fuels our mission to create engaging and informative content for the construction community. Your feedback is the mortar that holds our podcast together. Share your thoughts, rate us, and let the construction community know why the Construction Life is your go-to podcast. Visit our website and check out the nearly 500 tradespeople and construction professionals listed on the site. Connect with all of them. Check us out at www.theconstructionlife.com for additional content, behind-the-scenes exclusives, and valuable resources. Dive deeper into the construction world with articles, guest profiles, and more. Follow us on Instagram at TCL underscore The Construction Life. Follow us on TikTok under the same handle and tweet us at TCL Construction. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, check out our link tree, and find exclusive discounts for listeners. Link is in the IG bio. Join the conversation on Facebook, the Construction Life community. And uh, now let's get back to you, man, Devin. So how did, this is your first, so thank you for the copies, I appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, the Portuguese Immigrant. That's right. Right? That's the first one that you wrote. That's the first one. And then the second one is the Find the Madeira one. That's right. Right? So then uh, you're a writer, or what's the history? Yeah, so I moonlight as a writer. Uh, I have a day job as a public servant, um, but in my off time, uh, I do enjoy writing. So I've been published in uh, literary journals, uh, newspapers, cultural magazines. Um, But those are labors of love that I put together, inspired by Portuguese heritage and understanding myself and this Portuguese thing of ours. Um, I put together those stories uh, throughout a discovery myself to share with other people to help uh, you know, lead them in that direction or inspire them to chase that for themselves. What I, what I loved is like when, when I first saw the cover of the Portuguese immigrant was a photo. And I was like, I think anybody that's um, an immigrant can relate to this photo. Right. I, like this is your dad, right? That's or my grandfather. Grandfather, right? Yeah, my paternal grandfather. Yeah. So it's just like, 
I, I have that same photo. Like, the thing is, I have these photos in my photo <laughs> albums. I kept all these older photos. I like those older photos that had rounded edges on them. Yeah. You know what I mean? The old, old school that had this sort of sepia tone to it. Yeah. It was just like, I would love to see those kinds of photos come back in, in regular photography because there's such a, a flavor to it. You know, when you, you, you scroll through these photo albums that the family has and you, you don't even realize who these people are, how they're all connected in the family tree and everything like that, yeah. until you actually start connecting the dots when you go back yeah. for the first time. And then all of a sudden you start realizing this is so-and-so and this is the connection here and this is the primo here and this is, you like, you could, you, you, that's what I loved about it. So it's like when I, when you, I, you know, Giovanni reached out and he suggested it and I started looking into it. I was like, yeah, I definitely want to talk to this guy because we're going to, we're going to be relevant together. We're going to understand what we were talking about. And I know that you were born here in Canada. I am. Yes. Yeah. But you're, uh, well, your parents immigrated here. Yeah, so uh, my mother immigrated here in the 80s. Uh, my father, uh, he's actually the Canadian born in the family. So that book details my grandfather's trials and tribulations coming from Azores to Canada. When did he come here? 1957. Oh, wow. So he came by himself. Leaving the Azores back in the 57 yes. and then coming to Canada. As a middle-aged man, yeah. no less, too. So wow. they opened the, the portal for Canadian laborers in the mid-50s. Uh, prior to that, they were adverse to Canadians coming in for whatever reason. They didn't want Azorians. They were more prone to like Italians and Chinese, right? So when they opened the doors for the immigrants... What was with the Azorian thing? I don't know. I really don't know. But they were adverse... Peasants, farmers, kind of like... Yeah, I guess they, they, they kind of frowned on... Azorians but back then in Portuguese. the 50s, like the Azores would have still been massively booming because of the whale, you know, way before Greenpeace shut it all down and everything yeah. like that. But... Like the Azores were a very thriving fishing kind yes. of uh, economical center. And, and, and there still was a lot of immigration at that time. Yeah. But they were going to the United States, Brazil. Uh, Canada wasn't very open to Portuguese at that time. Huh. Now, there were Portuguese in Canada. We know there's Portuguese that landed in Newfoundland and there's a rich history there. Yeah. But the boom of the Portuguese Canadian diaspora, like how we recognize it now, yeah. it, that boom happened in the late 50s. Wow, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. So you had a hard time coming in here. Well, so my book, so like you said, I like what you said about the photos. You look at a photo, you know, they say a photo has a thousand words. Yeah. It's like watching a movie over and over yeah. or your favorite episode. Like I've watched The Simpsons like a dozen times <laughs> over. Yeah. But every time you watch it, you catch little nuances that you didn't, you know, you didn't realize yeah. on the first watch, the second watch. So when you go back on those family photo albums, you start making connections. Yeah. You realize who these people are or what their environment is and all that. Um, so when I started really going down that path of discovering my family, um, those were nuances I, I learned along the way. So Vavu, my grandfather, um, you know, that was the, the pie-in-the-sky dream for a lot of Azorians. There was, it was impoverished at that time. Yeah. There was hard, uh, hard to make ends meet. There wasn't much work. It was hard work and it was little money. Exactly. Little, next to little. Exactly. Yeah. And at that time, he was in around my age. He was his mid-30s, had a family of three already, established with my grandmother, working two jobs to make ends meet, and still it wasn't enough. So when Canada opened its doors, now I don't know if he applied to America or elsewhere, but he applied to Canada. He went through the rigorous screening process and he got a one-year contract working on the railways in British Columbia. He was stationed in Kitimat. So he's coming from the middle of the Atlantic Ocean 
and going right across the whole country to yes. the other end of Canada. Yeah. Well, first he arrived in Montreal. Yeah, but then makes his way to the West. And then makes his way to the West. In the 50s, late 50s. By himself. By him, so, so Wife and kids stayed back on the island. How many years did you know your grandfather? Uh, all my life until uh, 2012. So that was, uh, I was 2012. Sort of in your early I 20s? I was 16, 16. Oh, 16. Yeah. Okay, so you've known him for 16 years, so he shared a bunch of stories about, I mean, did you ever Sorry, ask 26. Him? Sorry, I was a decade off. Yeah, yeah, so, so did, you, did you ever ask him, how was that to make that decision to go to his wife, where they came from a small community, small country, small everything, mm -hmm. like everyone knew everybody. That's how it is. That's what I love about it. When you go back there, everyone, whether you like the person or you hate the person, you know them and you could either frown or smile or just do that neutral dude just by look just by look exactly just by look you don't have to I, express a word i went to my mother's village <laughs> I, I know and they literally recognized me from like they, from childhood they're you, like oh you're, you're yeah you're you probably son. get like they they start seeing your father in your face you start seeing yeah. certain family they members knew exactly in your face, who i was and they know exactly who you are because the word gets out and all of a sudden you start yeah. showing up and and you still have that swagger of being a, a foreigner so you walk in and then yeah, they, you they know out. they know exactly but i mean i'm, I'm thinking to myself like when you're speaking to your grandfather you're leaving your wife and you're leaving your three kids at the time, going to a different country, not even sure what's going to happen there. Mm -hmm. And I can only imagine what the cost of the travel was to get there, which would have been astronomical in a Zorian mentality, mm -hmm. right? And then all of a sudden, like, you leave. Like, how did he cope with the leaving yeah, part? Huge risk. Um, honestly, I never took an interest in this until after he passed away. He passed away. And that's, the and that's thing. when you're going back to the photos. And that's the thing with genealogy. It's You, you got to recognize the opportunities you have with your family to ask yeah. questions and yeah. truly understand what their history is and how that contributes to you as a person today. Uh, but for me, being, you know, punk, uh, loose Canadian that really took for granted my hair, I had no interest in it, right? How many are you? you have any brothers or sisters? I do. I'm the eldest. You're the eldest. How many yeah. kids are we talking here? Three. Three kids, right? Yeah. Me, brother, sister. Okay. And you, you, you're, the, you're the eldest. Are the other siblings interested in the history? Not at all. So I bring this up because I'm I'm one of five. I'm the only one that's interested in going back. I'm the only one that's been back. Yeah. Right? That's Other, coming, isn't it? I, I, I find it strange. I really find it strange. Like, I find it like me to the Azores. I Like, listen, like there's nine islands there, right? And obviously, San Miguel is the biggest island. You have Peak, which has got the, the mountain. That's the extent of it. But it's, it's a simpler island, right? Everyone basically goes to San Miguel. They go to Tuseda. Mm -hmm. And then they also go to Fayal. Fayal is a very, because of the uh, the airport and also the, the harbor with the boats. And you get a lot of sailing people coming from Europe and from coming from North America going there. Mm -hmm. So those are lots of hubs there. But the... It's the simple life there. It's an extremely simple life. I know that we've described, lots of people have described the Azores as kind of the Hawaii of the Atlantic Ocean, right? Yeah. It's not exactly like that, but it is, like when I I first went back there, funny enough, I first went back there um, six months, seven months after my dad passed away. That was the very first time that I ever went back there, mm. right? So I would have been- then? I was born in France, okay. right? So from us, we went Azores. It was my three older siblings. And then uh, we went to France. He had to go there for uh, to be in the army. And then they had me and they had my younger brother, right? And then, but from, from France, from Tour France, we immigrated to Montreal, Canada. That was 78, right? So all of a sudden now we're there, we're staying with family there. And then all of a sudden we moved to Toronto and then we basically set roots in Toronto. And then he got a job as a bricklayer and went from there, right? But 
I'm the only one in this family that is interested in going back. And I'm the only one that has actually dove into these photographs. I'm the only one that still has these albums. And I'm the only one that has met these people. Like I've seen these photos of these people that are probably like your age. And then I'm meeting them 30 years later in person mm -hmm. and I can recognize them. And then I have a conversation with them. Then they start telling me about their family, how they were before they left in 78, right? How this Nevis family was in Pico, in Canladia, Madalena, right? And all that stuff. Like they start talking about that and I'm fascinated by it. Mm -hmm. Versus my siblings are like, for lack of a better word, Canadianized. They're just like, I'd rather just stay here. And and it's not like you can smell and breathe and walk and everything's different there, completely different there. And I, I, I would say to the extent of healthier. And it's not that they have the better healthcare system or anything like that and everything's just better. It's just the mindset is better mm -hmm. than what <clears throat> this has been created. It's cleaner. It's cleaner. Yeah. Here it's jumbled. It's fast paced. We got... We know too much. Yeah. That's our problem here. You go there, for lack of a better word, they're a bit like simple people, but there are, I, I think th there's a beauty in that. Yeah. And being simple, just simple, taking, enjoying the simple pleasures of life, um, pausing, having conversations with people. They're not in a rush. No. You go to the island, like they actually close their cafes for uh, lunch, say. They're not in a rush. One example, we were in Portugal. We did a stopover on our way to Madeira. Um, so I was literally in San Miguel, in Punta Delgada, the biggest city, the capital of Azores, yeah. for the World Cup final. <laughs> okay? Uh, last year, or two years ago, yeah, the one yeah. in Qatar. It was in December. And it was a Sunday. And Punta Delgada on Sunday, it's very quiet. The shops are closed. It's closed for business. It's just, and I'm thinking to myself, it's the World Cup. Bars are going to be open. Cafes are going to be open. There's going to be energy, right? They're going to watch the game. We get to a cafe. The only cafe open, mind you, in the downtown core. We enter and they say, uh, yeah, we're closing at uh, 4 p.m., by the way. I say to myself, that's halftime. There's no way. There's no way they're yeah. going to close yeah. midway in the game. Yeah. And sure enough, they closed at 4 o'clock. They even turned away a, grou a group of like six coming in for, for lunch. They said, hey, we're closing. It's over. I couldn't believe just the simplicity. Like they're not, they're not hustling. They're not in a rush. They're not str They're not hungry. But what's it make yeah. you do, Devin? Like it makes you want to come back tomorrow. Then it makes you want to return and continue the conversation that you possibly started at that moment in that cafe, that restaurant, that place. That's what I love about it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it, it makes you continue life. That's what I like about it versus here. It's almost as if you have to achieve everything in such a short amount of time. And if you don't achieve everything, then you just move on and you forget that place. It's not like that over there. There's so many places that so many people have stopped and sat and talked and got to meet people and discuss things and learn things. And I like that the the Azores have grown so much that you get so many European tourists coming in now. Mm -hmm. So you get to like if you go in the ideal times during the you know late spring all the way to early fall, you'll meet so many tourists, mostly from Europe, and you're crossing paths with so many different kinds of people, mm -hmm. right? Which I find very fascinating when you're there because now you could just continue that conversation from the locals to all these people that are literally an hour flight away to Europe. Yeah. And then you connect it that way. Yeah. It reverberates on everybody, it does. right? Everybody's on vacation, good spirits. Everyone's taking that time to pause, right? But it is a contrast to what we're used to here. So that is something I do, uh, you know, I'm very reflective, and that's something I, in my second book I do talk about stuff like that. But 
Um, yeah, it's a different pace. So I think there's a lot of importance in understanding who we are, what our family heritage is, because that all plays a factor into what our disposition is day to day. So one of the motivating factors, the catalyst for writing that book was understanding my family history and realizing once Vavu died, what happens to his story? Are you looking for a sustainable and durable real wood solution to elevate your next project? Let me introduce you to the gold standard. Thermary, the world's largest and most trusted manufacturer of thermally modified wood and sauna materials. Their wood is like the superhero version of regular wood, stronger, more stable, and ready to take on whatever Mother Nature throws its way. With a wide range of thermally modified wood products from decking and cladding to sauna and statement walls, when you choose Thermary, you're not just investing in quality, you're investing in the health of our planet too. Join countless architects, designers, builders, and homeowners who have trusted Thermary to bring their vision to life. The best way to fully experience the Thermary difference is to hold the real thing in your hands. So visit their website today at www.thermaryusa.com and also find them on IG at Thermary USA. Right. What did you know about your family up until that point? I knew they were immigrants from Portugal. Okay. From Azores and were very religious and typical, v- yeah. typical. Vavu prays before every meal, but Vavu does not go to church. Vavu cooks. Vavu is very loyal, very dedicated to her family. Um, but Vavu can't speak English. She's been in Canada for thirty plus years. Same thing with my dad, right? Mm-hmm. But those are things I just recognized. But I didn't question like, why are they like this? How did it get like this, right? And when I question, what is their story? What were their trials and tribulations? Looking through that photo album. I don't recognize these places or what time of year this was or what, you know what I mean? I want details. So that's when I was uh, instigated to find out more. I want to know. So I started asking questions. It was genius. So who are you asking at this point now? Uh, My direct family. Okay. My father, uh, him being the youngest, he didn't take much of an interest in that. It's kind of... How many times did your dad go back? A couple times. Okay. Maybe a handful. He found his wife. You've been there. Me? Uh, Like five or six times. Okay. Yeah. Maybe seven. All right. I went a couple times as a kid and many times as an adult, right? Yeah. Um, But using the information I knew, you build a pedigree chart, a family tree. And I had to go to, I had to refer to my aunt. She's the eldest. So she actually recalled details of living in Portugal, what Vuvu did to apply to get to Canada. Or, you know, this is a project over, like, it's been, like, a decade. It's still on, right? But sometimes when you prompt your family with a question, it's hard for them to recall. You're kind of forcing it, right? But I would pay attention at, like, Thanksgiving dinners, Christmas. Because they talk. They talk. They shoot the shit. Remember the time Dad did it? There I would be with my phone or taking notes. Like, oh, that's an interesting detail. Okay. So over years of, like, collecting data and all this... I started drafting, you know, little blurbs about segments of his life. And then I started incorporating environmental factors and understanding what's happening, what were the, the struggles on the island at that time. What, you know, like, like when I talked about Canada opening its doors, what was the influence for Vavu to apply to Canada? So I started piecing those factors into my writing. And, uh, yeah, I came up and with that's a what, manuscript. That's what came up with the manuscript, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, I can only assume that you didn't get everything in the in this first book. Like, there's got to be a follow-up at this point, no? Or uh, did you, were I you mean, able to? 
I mean, my writing continue, my research continues, but uh, like, I, am I striving to write another book in continuation? Uh, not at the moment. No, so. no. But I'm just thinking that there's probably more of it, and it's it's funny that I never. I didn't do that like when you were doing that and trying to piece it all together because like most historians you have to navigate the waters of who the family hates you know what I'm saying like <laughs> it's just ridiculous yeah, right yeah. it's like it's gotten to the point where the last time I was there which was unfortunate it was like I think it was the year just before COVID so it was like one year one and a half years before COVID even started so it was like 2019 or something like that and um, before I went back I was told don't speak like I was given a grocery list <laughs> don't speak to certain people, right? Mostly on my dad's side of the family because my dad was the only one that immigrated from here. My mom's family, the whole family immigrated here, right? But my dad had four sibling, four brothers and uh, none of them came here and they always frowned upon him going here and leaving there. Mm. So they didn't like that. They just felt that he was better than them or something like that. So mm. then whenever I went back, I was always told you can't speak to his side of the family. And the last time I was there, I was actually trying to go see the last surviving son uh but he was a lot older and i and i found the house but it was gated mm. dogs dogs in azores like you, you don't know like it's not a stray dog around here like yeah. a dog could jump at you and it's just you do, you just don't know so i just never got a chance to meet him right and i i don't know as far as i know regarding uh research i don't know if he's still alive or what have you um but it's just, like you go there and you i started just discovering and i think because you walk around with a, a neutral face you're a foreigner, but you're still recognizable as part of that family, as part of this this country. Mm -hmm. People volunteer information, whether it's good or bad. Like that, I, I found it very interesting. A lot of people would come up to me, complete strangers that are some sort of connected to the family. Mm -hmm. And then they start telling you a story. Whether they tell you the story as a negative in the beginning or as a positive, that was up to them. And I would only capture what I want to capture, right? Mm -hmm. But it was just, they always had both sides of the stories. They were always telling you that, this person did this and it was wrong. They should not have done that. They took this and they and like they go into this whole tree thing. Yeah. And I'm like going, okay, fine. Nice to meet you. Great. And then I move on. And that was it. But then you're there for a couple of weeks and you're enjoying your time. You cross paths and then you have another brief conversation. You move on from there. Yeah. But that's what I, I like about it. Like I don't, like nobody was swinging fists, so to speak. Nobody hates you or wants to kill you. They just want to let you know that this is how I feel about you or your family or it's got nothing to do with you. They always remind you that, right? It's got nothing to do with you, but it's got everything to do with your father, your grandfather, your mother, your grandmother, right? Now, a Portuguese mentality with that, I'll say, uh, a fatalist Portuguese mentality is... Uh, they're engaging with you. They're probably fishing for information. hundred percent. Right. That's and, why you stay quiet. Yeah. And you don't lead them on. I'm right? so taught. Don't give I'm, them I'm much. so taught. That's yeah. how it is. Right. Like I just, I'm by here by myself. Oh, yeah. how can you be in your late thirties or yeah. in your forties? Whatever you, you whatever you give them, it's going to filter. Exactly. To neighbors. That's how, and, that, and, and I didn't care about And then that. they hear it back home. What'd you tell them? Right. Yeah. Right. So it's gotten to the last time I was there. It's gotten to the point where <laughs> I, I refuse to now stay with any family. I'm just going to book a hotel and I'm going to stay there and then I'll let that shit storm unfold, right? Yeah. Because you're not allowed to stay in a hotel. You can't stay in a hotel. You have to stay with some family. But yeah. I got so tired on the last trip where why did he choose to stay with that family, you know, that cousin or whatever, instead yeah. of staying with mine? What's wrong with my house? And I'm like, I'm not in the middle of It's tiring, of man. You got to do the rounds, right? You got to give everybody and equal I can't, attention. And I stop eating everybody's food. And then... Uh, I can't do it. When do you enjoy your vacation? Exactly. Right? 
like my, my, my family, they're great too. They'll drive us around and, but they get insulted if you don't stay at their place. I don't care. They anymore. get insulted. If you don't take the ride they're offering, they want to spend the day anymore. with you. They want to take you to Satsi Dodge. They want to take you to <laughs> the food. only thing that I will still it's take like, is oh, Agua Dent. I'll, I'll drink all the Agua Dent that they give me. I'll, I don't give about that. I'll, t- I'll totally drink it all the time. Yeah. Give me the bottle. I'll take it home or whatever. Like I'll take all those gifts. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But regarding sitting down and food and like, it's going to be interesting the next time I go. Cause now I intermittent fast. Right. So all of a sudden I'm like, I'm I'm not going to eat during the day. I'm not going to have breakfast. I'm not going to have it in the meal during the day. I'm going to wait till the evening every time because I'll enjoy myself walking around yeah. all day long. But what I liked is that you just walk around and you, I swear to you, Devin, I recognize where photos were taken. Like, I swear to you. I don't from, have the, from the photos. Yeah. I don't have the photo album with yeah. me. But like those photos have been committed to memory now yeah. that I swear I'm walking around and I'm like, you're standing there and you're like going, this looks incredibly familiar. Like mm-hmm. incredibly familiar. And mm-hmm. then you realize that you're literally standing where this photograph was probably taken mm. decades ago. How does that feel in that moment? Does it, it makes me want to return. That's why I'm saying I don't yeah. understand my siblings where they have no interest to be a part of this history, mm-hmm. which I find really ironic because, you know, my parents and a lot of parents of immigrants, right? They left everything for a better life to come here. And it's not that I'm leaving Canada for a better life there. I just want to go there to live better Mm. there's a difference you know what i'm saying i I honestly believe that i could live better there so is that something you envision yourself moving to portugal at some point yeah same that's already in the books like that's it's it's kind of ironic i feel the same way yeah And, and it's that same sentiment when i go to portugal it's like i could totally live here if i could just find a job the simple life of just you know just enjoying island life having conversations, taking it. I could totally live there. And that's something I strive, like whether it be retirement or early retirement or making the move and actually working. Uh, there's a lot of digital nomads now in Portugal. Yeah. There's, there's non-Portuguese moving yeah. there. And uh, that that's not uh, so foreign anymore. It's very common now, right? But um, I share the same sentiment, man. It's like, I, I could see myself moving there. But let me ask you this. Did your family reminisce on Portugal a lot growing up? Of course. Yeah. Well, so your siblings are aware of they're some aware of, of it because because there's photographs, right? There's yeah. some really funny photographs, like certain situations that happened. Like um, I remember in in before I was born, um, obviously there's like we, we everybody had chickens, everybody had pigs, everybody had cows. Like that, like the, that's where the butcher and the poultry. That's mm-hmm. where it all came from, right? Mm-hmm. But I like I remember every Christmas, like you, my mom and dad would always talk about how my older siblings ended up they were supposed to prepare the chickens and they ended up washing the chickens like with soap and and killing them drowning them basically that way right and then there's a photograph of all these dead chickens there and they were supposed to prep them a different way like the way they were supposed to prep them right and then she keeps on bringing that up but it was like that's the extent of it and then sometimes you'll get my younger brother not even remembering it like he's been told it but he doesn't remember anything like that because my younger brother and my older brother are the only ones that ever went back one time and they went back with my mom with my mom and dad before I went back and they hated it. They hated every day being there. They came back with nothing but negativity to say about that island, the the people and everything. They just didn't like the lifestyle. They didn't like anything about it. Mm. And then fast forward, I would say less than 10 years later, I go and I loved everything about it. Everything about it. There wasn't a single thing 
that I didn't like. I didn't even mind the lizards crawling all over me when I was sunbathing by the ocean. <laughs> as you know, right? There's like lizards everywhere, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's like, I didn't give a shit about that. I'm, I'm hearing the ocean. I'm on a lava rock. Yeah. And was it one of those things where you're considering what they complained or what they didn't enjoy about it? I just and didn't like you're make looking the at best it, of any situation. Yeah. Like I don't understand how like listen, when I went back the first time, you you meet so many people from the family, right? And they invite you open arms to all their places and they they serve you food and drink and everything like that. And you make the best of it. You just you 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 want to be polite about everything. You want to learn a little bit about them. I took pictures of every single person that I met. Didn't matter if it was a stranger and they told me that I'm a friend of a friend of a friend or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I just I built a whole photo album out of it. And I and then what I wanted to do was I wanted to continue the photos that I saw. And then the second time I went back uh, was the very next year. I brought my mom back for the very first time. She hadn't been there since they actually immigrated here. Wow. Or since she went with my mom, with my uh, my dad and my brothers, right? Which was 10 years earlier. She was reluctant about coming back. And then she went back. And wherever I got a chance, I photographed her with so many people from her youth that are still there. And she, she I would drive her around and she would spot somebody and she recognized that person from like... 30 years ago mm. and she's like stop the car stop it. i know who that is right and i get out and then she starts talking to that person then i get a photograph out of it so it was like and that's the last time that she ever went my dad never went back other than that one time and that was it because he didn't he had that hatred between the siblings right mm. but I, that's why i feel i want to come back i want to continue going back right yeah i think it's important that at least one family member goes back and continues that line i think so and that that's why that's what drew the importance of documenting this like if 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 nobody picks up the pieces if nobody's going to pick up the crate and understand the ins and outs and the photos and uh what led to what where does that history go what did your parents Lost. think about the book when they read it uh they they enjoyed it so yeah. it's about my father's side uh a lot of it um my father didn't fully recognize or was aware of cuz okay. half the book is before he was born it's true. Okay. Right? So, and thinking about what, what your siblings and their experience of like sort of running away or, or dodging their Portuguese-ness, um, I find that was my father's upbringing very much where Vavu Novo, it was just, that's in the past. We don't really talk about that. So you could prompt them for stories of back home, whatever, and it would be very short, very um, mm. um, short-winded responses. But you know that there's a whole other story attached to that. Of course. But I find a common theme with Portuguese and the Azorians that came over, it's, that's in the past. We don't talk about that. They don't want to reminisce on that. And I think twofold, that has sort of reverberated on the next generation. So my, gran my father grew up very Canadian. In a Portuguese immigrant household. Mm -hmm. um, but he was very much influenced with like the rock music of the late 60s. Like he was very like modern, right? I find I grew up with a lot of that where growing up, my mom, super Portuguese. We go to the fashtas, we get dressed up, we, you pay, we go to church, all this. I didn't care about that when I was a kid. I kind of ran away from that. I didn't connect with it. I didn't find any, um, it didn't resonate with me. Right. Until my mid 20s, where I look back, I reflect, I said, shit, I really like as much as I know about the family, I don't know much of anything about the family, actually. Yeah. And compared to friends of mine that are Portuguese or, you know, mixed, uh, mixed races now and Canada's very much evolving like that. But uh, you could prompt a, a, a Canadian 
a modern Canadian about their family. And I bet you the vast majority don't even know where their grandparents are from. Uh, I don't disagree birth dates, with you. I right? Don't, I don't disagree with you. It's sad. And why is that? I, that's why I think there's so much importance to understand that history because that contributes to you as a person. And you can look in the mirror and say, shoot, I kind of respond to this or I think this way because mom beat it down my head that uh, walking under a ladder in the house is bad luck, right? Like little nuances like this that like you don't really... Whistling. Whistling. What's Whist, whist whistling in the house. You're not allowed to whistle in the I house. I never heard that one. Really? Yeah, that's what she she would say, whistling in the house. You're not allowed to. What do I do as a kid? I whistled in, right? <laughs> it, it, there was like a bunch of little things that you weren't allowed to do. But then I also found it really strange as immigrants coming to this country and we're butchering a pig, you know, like the whole family's getting together, uncles and cousins and everybody, and you're butchering a pig right in a suburban house in Toronto. And uh, I'm sitting there like as a teenager going, this ain't normal. Like, this is basically the precursor for me becoming a serial killer. Like, I don't yeah. I think it's really, you're literally gutting the pig right there, hearing yeah. the squeal and taking the blood. And in, in some instances, <laughs> did you even feel embarrassed about some I, of the rituals? I or didn't tradition? feel embarrassed about it. I just thought it was kind of the weirdest thing that you can do this, that now we're in Canada, I'm a teenager, and we're doing something that they did normal, like this is down the street, and, and then, you know, talk about full circle. First day going back there, for the first time I ever went back there, I'm walking around and I see a bench that's all burnt in the shape of a pig. Mm. So I already knew what happened on that bench the day before. Yeah, And it was just like, it brought me right back to, as a kid, when we were doing it as a family with cousins and uncles and everybody. And you're like going, yeah, but th that none of that shit goes on these days. Like nobody's hanging on to it. And then like, I don't have children. My... uh uh, two older siblings and one old younger sibling they have children none of them is being educated the portuguese culture they're being educated because you talk about a melting like you just said like there's like my whole family nobody married portuguese everybody married outside of portuguese right mm -hmm. and uh so but they're not educating their kids about the portuguese side of our history they're only educating their spouses or their significant other side education. So you're getting like Spanish and Italian and Polish and you're getting those ones and Vietnamese and you're, you're, you're educating them about that part of it. But why are you not sharing the Azorian side of things? Because there's such a rich culture there. Mm. And I seen it because I've been back eight times. Hey, architects and builders, do you want to stand out from the competition? Fraser Wood Siding has your back. Fraser Wood Siding is a leader in pre-finished wood siding. They manufacture beautiful pre-finished wood siding using only the highest quality PEFC certified Canadian softwood. Fraser Wood Siding is available in 17 profiles and unlimited colors. Fraser Wood Siding is available in 17 profiles and unlimited colors. Supplied by the global leader in paints, Sherwin-Williams. Whether your design taste is classic, contemporary, conservative, or bold, they've got you covered. They'll gladly match the color of any paint manufacturer and send a sample on an actual piece of Fraser Wood Siding in just a few days. Visit their website at www.fraserwoodsiding.com and reach out about your upcoming projects to benefit from their industry-leading lead times. Fraser Wood Siding, get inspired. Like, I mean, I've been back so many times. I've, I've got pictures of now with cousins that I was a lot younger, no gray hair, and I'm with them. And now they're full grown and they have families of themselves. And, you know, they're, they were my age as well, too. So it's a different mindset. But my siblings are not aware of that. And then I would come back and put my photo albums together, show it to them, and they would just flip through it. Not really ask me the story behind each of these photographs. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of reaffirmed that, they're not interested in carrying this Azorian culture in yeah. this family tree.
But I think there comes a point, uh, maybe this is like an older generation thing, but I think there is a come, a, a comes a point where you do start asking questions, right? And as long, like you being the purveyor of collecting the photo, the, you're curating all of this. When that time does come, at least somebody held on to it, right? And that's something to pass on. I don't, I don't know because I think my younger brother and older brother had such a negative experience when they last went there that that's been shared mm. to the rest of them, mm. right? Versus I come along and I'm sharing a positive experience about all the trips that I've been there. So maybe one of your nephews or nieces, maybe... None of them have talked about going back there. They've all talked no. about and they've all been back to their other side of their family culture. Maybe they've heard these stories, but maybe one day they'll question... Wait, why don't I know the Portuguese side? And they'll ask Uncle Manny, and then Uncle Manny will show them the photo album, and then uh, that'll start a whole chain reaction, right? There's so much, <laughs> like, I mean, I'd, I'd love to talk about, I mean, it's it's great. Like, I, I totally, amount of respect for you to, to write this and document and put it together and share it. And, uh, and it's, like I said, it's completely relevant to any immigrant from any culture. You could be, you know, Italian, Spanish, you could be Greek, you could be, you're going through very similar things. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter who, who did, like, it's very similar, right? Absolutely. And, um, but when I go back, when the last time I was there, I looked at the islands as opportunities. I see so much potential opportunity. I laugh a little bit because I'm seeing Americans, I don't know if there was any Canadians, building lumber stick framing houses there. And I was like, you guys are idiots, man. You can't build stick framing houses in the Azores. It's not designed that way. There's a reason why all those dwellings were made out of rock or concrete with clay mm -hmm. roof tiles, right? Oh, but no. you you can't, like, I, my mindset is, like, I want to go back there. And I'm every time I go back there, I make mental notes about structure and how to do certain things and how to build certain things because I already know what I want to pull off there. There's certain buildings that I've seen or certain homes that I've seen some people have built that have actually put some a lot of care in there. And all of a sudden, I start looking at the islands as opportunity mm -hmm. and i think now there's a lot of opportunity there do you do you think differently or no i agree yeah. it's uh, especially in the azores we know it's underdeveloped 100%. you compare it to madeira there's a lot of expats moving to madeira and sort of changing the architecture and, and just the atmosphere of the island as a whole um but needless to say like you see this opportunity do you envision changing the characteristics of the island through no. architecture no way or upholding no what no Uphol works there they know what's yeah. what, what's existed see, for 600 years yeah and see that's why i was laughing like yeah. you don't do stick framing like that's yeah. just it's it, on two levels it's insulting first of all for the culture second it won't last mm -hmm. because of the salt water like you're just the oh, ocean there's right. so much condensation yeah so you, you wake up in the morning and your pillows like you can't wet moist so like i i want to look at it like <laughs> listen i i love like i love the lava rock to the point where i was bringing back lots of lava rock with me in my suitcases the first time i was there and i constantly bring it back if i if i go along the shore and i see a specific rock and i like it i bring it back right i brought back black sand because i love it and it just it's amazing it keeps on i just i love that i want to retain that mm -hmm. i love the square cut lava rock I love that face. I love the stucco. I love uh, the tile on top. But I also love new ideas that you want to see coming from mainland Portugal or even European cultures, right? You want to figure out what they're building out there and then start applying it to them. Most of the homes in there, what are they? They're mostly tile. They're mostly some sort of stone or tile on the floor. That's what you're walking on. Mm -hmm. um, but everything else is mostly wood. You're, you're dealing with teaks. You're dealing with mahoganies. You're dealing with 
things like that, right? You're not dealing with six panel colonial trim, you know, like you're not dealing with any of that crap. That's not that's not the Portuguese culture. Mm -hmm. So you still have to be respectful to where they came from, but you want to update it. Yeah, that's how I look at it. Right. Absolutely. And, And when you look at the architecture that's existed there for so long, it's using the resources that it's they're not bringing elements from outside. They're using the the, the you know the, the land. They're yeah. using what's there, right? The churches and everything like that. All yeah. the the places, yeah. Everything. And you go back there, and uh, it's it's euphoria when you see some of these old churches or the homes, or you see your fa- your family's old home, um, and see it still standing there. And even there's opportunities there of fixing up. Uh, you know, whatever's abandoned or there, there's there's uh, not from my side of the family because there's been lots of bickering going on. Mm. And even the house that belonged to my mom's dad, it, it was uh, handed down to somebody else. And then all of a sudden they just butchered it. And now it last time I saw it, it was just vacant and it was just it was poorly maintained. Mm. So it's in a great spot where it is. Um, but it's just um, it's it needs to be torn down and rebuilt. Uh, but I, I also, I have a cousin who's a cop and he also on the side, he renovates. So he ends up flipping. So he's always like, whenever I hung out with him, he was always looking for new properties and he would just flip them and he knew exactly what he had to do because he was flipping them to sell them to Europeans. Mm. He already knew that there was a market there. Lots of Europeans were coming in and he was flipping these homes for a certain price and then he was selling them, doing very well. He was doing better. And, and listen, a cop's salary in the islands is very good, right? Like you're, you're doing well on the islands if you're doing that, right? Yeah. But he's also doing really well with the flipping too. So I would just have long conversations with him about how to do that. And he kept on saying, man, just come back just come back and just we'll find a spot we'll find a spot and we'll build it and i'm like i'm looking forward to that yeah one day it will happen right yeah it's ironic i love that um there's one point in the book uh when the infrastructure was growing in the 40s in san miguel or in punta delgada specifically um my family my grandfather and, and his i think he had two children at that time my aunt and my uncle the eldest um but they found an opportunity on the island it was a new build of apartments it's called Bayru Economiku uh, in the downtown district. Okay. So he got pre-sale uh, or pre-construction rather. Okay. Put down. They got this. Uh, it's like a townhouse kind of apartment structure. Um, they mortgaged it, but it was like a rental mortgage at that time, the agreement. So it's like 30 years. You pay rental. Uh, over the course of 30 years, you'll have ownership towards okay. the end. Yeah. Um, so that was something stable that they you know, they lived there. They, they multiplied my uh, second uncle, the third child was born there. Um, but those uh, buildings, that apartment, Baidu Economiku, still stands to this day. So where are they going to go? It's They're cool to go back way. and yeah. see that and actually, you know, it, it's not abandoned. It's not decrepit or anything. It's still housing people. Um, still standing to this day, 60 years later, seven years later, right? Um so yeah, that's a cool little aspect of the book. But when he came to Canada, um, he worked. So my grandfather wasn't a laborer okay. in Portugal. He was very much like administrative. He was a bookkeeper for Ben Saud Hotels, okay. which, which is still a ho- big hotel chain to this day. Okay. Um, and he worked at uh, the recently constructed uh, Teatro Michelens, okay, which is a big theater in the downtown district there. A lot of culture um, there. So working those two jobs wasn't, you know, wasn't panning out. Uh, he came to Canada, worked the railroad, one-year contract on the railways in BC. And then he came over to Toronto. He said, I'm fucking done with that. I'm not working with on the, the railroad? Yeah. He got his foot in the door, 
Same was the, it like six day weeks kind of thing? Yeah, six days weeks, sleeping on like a, a cubby uh, in Kitimat. They transport you back and forth. To Bunch the of site. immigrants, probably. Bunch of immigrants. It's not just Portuguese, no, no, Italians, Chinese, everybody. everybody. They're yeah. all blended. Um, he spent three Christmases away from the family until he saved up enough, finally made the call back home, brought the family over. And my book just details all that. But that's something I didn't recognize growing up. Like something I'd like. A, the hardship. Yeah, the hardship. What was that like? Imagine leaving your family mid-30s, never worked you, as a laborer, taking the sacrifice, you know? Do you, you think, Devin, that certain families don't want to reconnect with their culture because they're not going through hardship? Like in current state? Yeah. Like the kids of today. So the, 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 the kids of these kids that came in here. Yeah. Um, 100%. Like my family. They're, I, I don't think they're interested in the culture because they haven't gone through hardship. You kind of take it for granted. I relate to the hardship completely. Yeah. You kind of take it for granted. Yeah. Right? There's no perspective yeah. to look back. Why? Why am I going to That's That was then. This is now. Right? What's the importance of looking back on that? Yeah, but that is what motivated your grandfather to take this risk to come here mm -hmm. and then work really hard to bring the rest of the family to come here mm -hmm. and then start building a family here. If he didn't go through that hardship, you probably wouldn't be here. No, exactly. Right? When the family finally came over, they came. Uh, so he left in May 1957. The family finally reunited in Toronto, uh, January 1960. So it was nearly wow. three years. They were separated. It's a long time. Scanty Just collect calls, eh? Cracky, collect calls. Cracky sound. Th there's no phone at home. Vavo had to go to the yeah, neighbor's yeah. house, use the phone I there. Know, there's I no know. privacy. They're I listening. Know, uh, words going around. He's sending checks back home. Oh, he's big time. He's big time. He's well, because those checks were bigger when they arrived there, yeah, right? Yeah, right? I know. So um, they had to be very diligent with that. Uh, but when they reunited, January 1960, my father was born November that year. Literally the same year. So when I re when I recognized what that symbolized for them, and who my father was to the family, like he was like the Canadian born, like you know the golden child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you start to it starts to make sense a bit. Like okay, that's why certain things are the way they are, and you know what I mean. But when you don't look back, you don't reflect on that. Yeah, you don't recognize the hardship, what the family did to get here. We're all immigrants, right? That's lost history. And that was my biggest fear after Vavu died was uh, what happens to a story? Like, well, what now? Right? Here's, here's my biggest problem that I still regret to this day because, I mean, you're Portuguese, so obviously son, rice pudding, right? I just like Yeah. You like it? I love rice pudding, right? I don't like it. <laughs> but, but every family's got their... They have their own recipe, right? Yes. Yeah. Never been written down. And I'm not just talking about rice pudding. I'm talking about there's a bunch of dishes that all Azorians and Portuguese people make. Yep. And that family always makes the best version, so to speak, right? Yeah. But I, I, I hate the fact that never got the opportunity to actually pay attention or learn or appreciate those recipes from all those meals that now I can't ever have again. And, and recently, and I bring it up because I recently I had some, someone else's rice pudding. Doesn't taste the same. It's not the same feeling. Mm. Nothing. Right. So then it's like, that's the lost culture. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, if you don't instill it in people to go back and look at it and go, 
someone should be paying attention here, making notes and understanding that there's something here. There's something of value here. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, I, I, I guess I'm lucky in my family that I'm the only one that's paying attention to that. But there's already enough, you know, irons in the fire for me that like, I, it's already daunting to just the amount of things that I do want to pull off because every time I go back there, it's just that grocery list gets bigger and bigger of things that I want to accomplish there mm -hmm. as a result of what the, the family culture, the history is all about, right? Yeah. So then I can basically say, yeah, sure. You know, obviously Manny's a very typical Portuguese name, right? So I think every family in Portugal has a Manny, if not they have 12 Mannies in them, right? So it's like you're named after so-and-so, the grandfather or the whatever. That's how it's all connected. So you can always just go down the line and stuff like that. But I do want to say when I go back there that someone can say years from now that this particular Manny, this is what they did. Looking for cutting-edge solutions for your spray foam needs? Look no further than Elasticam Specialty Chemicals. With a remarkable track record spanning over three decades, Elasticam stands as an industry-leading supplying contractors across Canada with top-grade closed-cell, open-cell, and specialty foam products and accessories. Experience hassle-free spraying in both summer and winter with Insulthane Extreme. Canada's groundbreaking HFO closed-cell product. Time is precious, and we know it. Optimize your efficiency and avoid downtime by choosing the best products with the best technical and customer support. Elevate your spray foam game today with Insulthane Spray Foam Products by Elasticam. Give them a try today. Visit their website at www.elasticam.com or give them a call at 187-787-2436. You know what I mean? That's mm -hmm. where I think there's value, where the rest of my siblings are not understanding that. They don't get that value that's attached to that culture that history yeah or the life stories too yeah right yeah and how that contributed to history it, it, it's kind of corny but something i'm very cognizant of and, and i use in my day-to-day -day, um is i say we're making history every day yeah, yeah. and we really are yeah. the decisions we make uh choices we we do on our day-to-day -day change the tra changes the trajectory of where we're headed or even those around us and 5, 10, 20 years from now, you can look back and say, wow, that was the fork in the road that yeah. led us down here, right? Yeah. So we're making history every day. But being cognizant of that and just remembering and just reflecting and appreciating what things are lead to or, or even just for the benefit of uh, experiences. Sometimes you remember, you know what? I don't like a certain thing. I don't like a certain place because of so-and-so. You got, you got to reflect. Yep. You got to be able to look back. And I think that's an important piece that not everybody is cognizant of in our day-to-day, -day, that we're making history every day. We kind of take it for granted. And, you know, with that project, uh, I hope to inspire readers to, you know, f resonate with their family stories. That yep. book's going to remind you of the family stories you heard growing up. Of course. Um, but I really, truly hope that readers uh, will be inspired to discover themselves and their own family histories. They will. And have something on paper, yeah, they will. book, photos, whatever, even jot stuff down on napkins that can be carried over or can be shared with somebody. Because like you said, with the recipes, nobody wrote it down, right? And it's people just from, should be writing them down today. It's just from memory. Yeah. And things get convoluted over time, right? So imagine a story, a family story. Uh, it's like the broken telephone. Yeah. The one storyteller to the next storyteller, the, at the, you know, from the onset, the, the car was red. There were three passengers, an accident. There was a cyclist. Yeah. And then by the fourth storyteller, the car's blue. It was, you know what I mean? Like yeah. details get convoluted. You got to have this stuff written down. But it's everybody important. here is so, I guess, fixated on their own individual 
BS, right? No. They don't have time for that. Sure, that's my background. It's whatever. Like, I, I just find it interesting that I think if you pay attention to your family's culture and where everyone came and the struggles that were associated with, I think it's just, um, it's inevitable that you're going to cross paths with somebody that has some connection with that. You know what I mean by that? Mm -hmm. Like that's what I know that for a fact. I just know that that's how it's going to get connected. Right. I think I've, I've shared this story before on the show a long time ago where I was traveling in, um, in, uh, was it, it was Venice. I was in Venice and, um, we were walking around and I was fascinated by a lot of the doors in Venice. I was just fascinated by doors, right? Like yeah. the, the doors are amazing there. The buildings themselves are amazing. Right. Um, and, and I'm walking around and all of a sudden we come across this uh, museum and they were having an exhibit of Stanley Kubrick's photography from the Azores. No way. I did, that's the, that's the, the entrance way when I saw it. I saw the Stanley Kubrick name and I already recognized and I know everything about him. He took pictures in the Azores. So this is what it was all about. So this wow. is before he became a filmmaker, he was a photojournalist. Oh. And he was photo, a photographer and um, he was tasked with going to the Azores to document the culture there back in the 50s. Cool. So this would be way before he started making the films that he made, right? And, yeah. and the person that he became. So I'm like, how the hell is it? A guy who was born in France, who has a family from the Azores, comes into Venice, walks around, comes across a museum that's featuring photographs of Stanley Kubrick of the Azores. And then you look at these photographs, they're all black and white, and they're all Azorian. You see the people, you see the faces, you see the buildings, you see the roadways, you see everything. And you're like going, yeah. He captured exactly what the Azores were all about. Mm. And I was like fascinated by that. Yeah. Um, what are the odds of that? Is, is that happenstance or is that know. destiny? Or I don't know. What is this? I thoroughly life? enjoyed myself in that time, just paying attention about something that I didn't know anything about this individual that I knew so much about. Yeah. Right. I never knew that this was part of his history. So it's the same thing. Like, I totally agree with you, Devin, that. Every day you're making history. You're doing something. And even now that sometimes I'll look back on the photographs that I've taken decades ago. And it's like, I remember those moments, but I didn't really think anything of those moments at that time. But mm. now I'm thinking lots about those moments, mm. right? Because we get older and we're trying to achieve certain things. But I think that's where the connectivity goes to the culture, where you should start planting and figuring out how the connection is and going there. I think it's nice that I'm the only one that's interested in going back to where my family came from and continuing um, a fingerprint there because they left and they weren't there anymore. Mm. You know what I mean? They didn't build anything more. They, they left their house. They left everything there and his siblings decided to stay. Her whole family left. And so like nobody from this family, this name has gone back to left a fingerprint. And that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in leaving that fingerprint back there. So then maybe something else happens and all of a sudden someone might want to immigrant back to Canada or go to a different place. And then all of a sudden say, well, you know what? Hang on. The story starts here, but then it went to Toronto, went to Montreal, went to Toronto, and then it went back mm. to the Azores, right? It's this kind of, um, th th this instinct to want to plant a flag or something, leave something back for others to discover, yeah. right? But I, I, that's an interesting story about the Venice. Yeah. Because I, I find the universe is always throwing things at us, whether it be tests, notes, whatever it is. And if you're paying attention, you'll catch it. But if you're not, things swing, fly you by, you yep. don't even notice, yeah. right? Um, so I think that's an interesting piece where once you're cognizant of it, you start paying attention. It's like when you're shopping for a car. I don't notice 
Teslas or yeah, yeah, Elantras. Yeah. I have yeah. an Elantra. I didn't notice the Elantra, but when I was really looking for sh- a car, and I was like, you know what? I think an Elantra is going to whatever. I started seeing Elantras all over the city. Yeah, I never noticed before, right? Yeah. And it's like those things. Once you're in tune, once you turn into that station and you're aware, it just starts popping out at you. Aren't right? you afraid that here in Toronto, there's not much of a Zorian to be thrown in your face? You know what I'm saying? I think there is, but I think the nature of the Azorian people and the Portuguese, we very much are conditioned to kind of just blend in. Yeah. We're not out there. Yeah. We're not boisterous. We're not extra. We just kind of, we, we mind our business. We do our thing. So growing up very much, I was inundated with it. Mom would bring me to that stuff. I rent, I'm, that's not me. I don't want to go to fashion. I don't care. I sort of um, veered away from it into my teens, 20s. But once I returned and I started paying attention, there's a lot of influence. You just got to dig for it. Mm-hmm. It's not out in the open. There's uh, over a dozen clubs in, Port- in uh, Toronto alone, Portuguese clubs, whether they be soccer clubs, yeah. cultural clubs, yeah. uh, you know what I mean? Um, you got to look for it. But it's one of those things that it's not, we're not out in the open. Like there are bakeries downtown that blend in Portugal Village, whatever, or there's one place on Young, I realize, um, uh, Eat More Natas or something like that. Like Young and where? Where's that? Young and Bloor. It's like a nata place. Okay. But it kind of just blends in. It's not out in the open. I find it's kind of veering towards being mainstream a little bit right now. Portugal is kind of trending. It's a little sexy right now. People are going there. You're hearing about a lot of expats moving there. Um, I volunteered for a festival last year okay, and it was the first time it was commemorating actually 70 years since they opened the doors for Portuguese immigrants in Canada. Mm-hmm. So celebrating the 70 years of Portuguese immigration in Canada. And for the first time ever, they had a big festival at Nathan Phillips square outside mm-hmm. Toronto city hall. Wow. And I said, I can't believe this has never happened before. <laughs> right. You know, the ones at Bellwoods historically yep. Portugal village, yeah. all this, but so that was monumental in itself. But the audience at this festival, Manny, it wasn't, don't get me wrong, the majority is Portuguese, but the amount of non-Portuguese that, that showed were there, up, and yeah. I was interacting with at my booth, it was Chinese, English. Uh, an English lady had such an uh, opaque soccer sc- uh, scarf. I said, where'd you get that scarf? So I go to Portugal every year. I love it there. I want to retire there. Another lady, I love Portuguese food. I love, so it's very much like trending right now. And I think that's veering towards, uh, we're kind of coming out of our shell right now. So I think there's a lot of onus on my generation, even the generations after to embrace that and step up to the plate and realize, you know, we're Portuguese. Let's carry this on. Otherwise it's going to be, you know, forgotten history. Um, and this like taboo, um, of like embarrassment or simpleton. Yeah. Kind of. Like professionally, you know, I work in uh, healthcare industry and there's a lot of Portuguese, but when you climb up the ranks, whether in clinicians or at the office, um, there aren't a lot of Portuguese like announcing themselves. It's very much at the bottom tier Portuguese. We all connect. We speak Portuguese. But once you climb the upper echelons of like the business, I find uh, a lot of people don't declare their Portuguese-ness. And I've even seen students, medical students, that I only realized were Portuguese after years of knowing them. 
And it was something that never came up in conversation. Like, you never told me you're from, you're from Portugal. Your family's from Portugal. Like, yeah, yeah, it's not really, I don't think it's a big deal. To, it should be. It should be, yeah. right? But I find um, we're kind of at a, a point in history now where we're kind of embracing it. It's kind of becoming a trending thing. Maybe uh, the factors that, you know, the, the, the vacationing there and people moving there or Ronaldo played such an international influence, right? It's very much like not so um, taboo to embrace that Portuguese-ness. How did you know, um, Devin, like you were done the book? Like when you did all the research and you spoke to so many people, how did you like at what point did you realize, OK, you know what? This story is done. I'm told. So the book is written in sequence of events. Yeah. Um, so it starts from his birth and it's a biography, essentially, yeah. of my grandfather. Um, I was intending on writing up until I was introduced into history. Um but as I write and put things together, you're looking for a good, I wanted a good uh, moment to end the book on. Like, what was that moment? He planted his flag and he's, I made it. Like, I'm here now. For me, um, where I ended it was when they finally purchased the house in Canada. Because his whole man. life he was striving to yeah. own a home, plant that flag for his family, have that hub. And it was a constant struggle looking for that, right? Um so once I got to that point, writing the book, uh, I, I wrote beyond it, but it just wasn't feeling like it wasn't connecting. I was like, what's, where am I going to go from here? Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so once you have this manuscript, you have all these words and it's, that was a fitting end. So, you know, there's a lot of editing that went over like a dozen drafts and edits and going back constantly and revising. How many years did you spend? From the time you started? Um, the genealogy project was about 10 years leading up to the book. Wow. The actual writing of the book was a better part of two years. Constant revisions. And then the editing process. And then, then you get into the packaging part of it, right? Yeah. And getting it out there, right? Yeah. Well, you look for an editor uh, or a literary agent. You yep. Do, uh, you can do unsolicited submissions to um, publishing firms. Yep. Um, but Did eventually, you, no, you, you Amazon, right? I self-publish self-publish. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I K KDB, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've also got an ebook version of it as well too. That's right. Yeah. Good. So and then it's, it's quite convenient. Um, it's tedious to find, it's very saturated, the book market, right? But having KDP and resources like that for writers, um, it's, it's a great way to get your foot in the door, get some exposure, build an author profile. I just wanted to get the story out. Honestly, I just wanted to get some prints, get it with my family, and I wanted to find readers that that story is going to resonate with and uh, inspire them to, uh, you know, do the same or at least start their journey to discover themselves and their family. How soon after you completed that one that you started finding Madeira? Um, so through that one, with uh, a lot of work with self-publishing is the promotion part. Yeah. It's probably half the work. You constantly got to, you know, yep. you got you to share it. You got to foot the pavement, get out there. Because a lot of, at least this market, um, Portuguese people, they're not really, the younger generations, absolutely. But the market I'm looking for, um, they're not really online shopping. And the rules of sales, you need some exposure, yeah. right? So I find uh, making connections with people going to festivals, going to the clubs, being able to share my story in person and actually have dialogue and, you know, connect in that sense is beneficial to the readers that I garner. 
Um, so there's a lot of that that goes into that. But through that experience, I found, um, you know, there's the Portuguese diaspora. It's large here. There's mm -hmm. so many things happening that I didn't realize is happening. Um, so with the positive feedback and the connections I made and the strides I made sharing the book, um, my journeys to Madeira, we go to Portugal like every year, every other year. Every year, you know, like you, I have a photo album. I always do the home videos. So I have all I that I don't collection. do the videos though. I do the videos. I don't, uh, I've never done the videos. I've only done the photographs. I do the photos, but I did the video once uh, I transferred all of my dad's photos. Okay. The VHS to, <laughs> to DVD. I have it all in the computer. Yeah. I said, I want to have my own collection of home videos. So I, I document like vacations we do or Christmas every year I do that. Contractors, it's time to empower your business with Shelter Tech Implementation. Shelter is offering a free meeting to tackle your biggest pain points head on. Their goal, to develop a custom company app that's built just for you, solving your pain points, streamlining your processes, making your workday smoother. Here's the scoop. There's a $15,000 digital adoption grant available, and Shelter is an expert at helping you secure it. This isn't just funding. It's your stepping stone into a new era of digital efficiency. By your second meeting, you'll get a tailor-made company playbook, a software prototype designed with your input, project tracking, real-time budget management, and daily logs, all integrated into a single app. It's tech that works for you, not the other way around. Shelta isn't just offering tech, they're offering transformation. Join the community of 93 subcontractors who have already stepped up their game with Shelta Tech. Two meetings, countless opportunities, ready to make a move? Visit Shelta.app. Let's pave the way to smarter, tech-driven future. Shelta technology, custom tech solutions for the modern contractor. Um, so with all that collection, uh, those are all original photos I've taken on my journeys. They're nice. They're very, very uh, nice. And it's travel journals along the way. My wife, her family's from Madeira. And basically, the story is about finding your home away from home. So all the travels we would go on, uh, I would meet couples that in Panama, you know, we go to this resort every year or people that go incessantly to the same place every year. And I always said to my wife, I don't get that. I don't understand. Don't people want to see the world? Don't they want to just explore? Well, I, I get that when everyone, like, like I said to you, I think before we started, um, I've never been to Portugal, like the continent. Yeah. I've always only ever gone to the Azores. Everyone's like, don't you just want to go to the Azores and, or the Portugal continent? I was like, not really. I just, I can't wait to get to where I want to get to because that's my focus. I want to spend time there. Yeah. I want to enjoy time there. That's what I discovered in Madeira. When I went there for the first time, it was like, holy shit, like, I feel like I'm at home. I'm not even from here. I have no connection to Madeira whatsoever, but it was uh, it was euphoric feeling of landing there, the atmosphere, the people, the food, the climate. I was like, this is my place. And ever since then, that's our home away from home. And the book is basically about discovering Madeira and discovering love where you least expect it. So somewhere, you know, how people fall in love with the land. Yeah. Similar to the immigrants that moved to Canada, they carved out a future for themselves. Like you ask them now, like my mother, my, my father's side, they love Canada. This is very much a part of their identity. Um, what is that? You know, what, 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 it's very poetic, I find. Um, so that's what that book is about. It's about finding love in a foreign land, but it's not so foreign, actually. It's very close to Azores and it's just... It was under my nose the whole time. 
I don't think that, uh, and I'm sure that you probably didn't get this question answered. Like, what would the real reason why your grandfather left and came here? Because I never got that answer from my parents, right? Other than, I guess, the stereotypical, which would have been a better life, right? Which I don't, I can't accept. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because now that I've seen where they came from, I can't connect it to that answer of them saying a better life. You don't see the struggle when you go back, right? I feel the same way. I go back to Portugal, I'm like, mom, why did you leave here? The weather's beautiful. Like, these people aren't struggling. Everybody's content with what they have. Yeah, mind what, you, there was struggle way back when they were way there. Way back then. Yeah. But that's not resonating with us when we go there now. We no. don't see that. No. Right? So, um, yeah, it's a good question. Like, it's a question that I'm going to get probably asked too because when I eventually pick up and go there for good, and that's probably when I'm going to actually travel to Portugal, the continent, right? And go to Madeira and go to all these other places because I'll be a lot closer to it, right? Yeah. So it'll be easier for me to just like hop on a flight and just go there. Sure. But people are going to ask you like, why did you leave Canada? What's going to be your answer? I, I don't have an answer for it right now, but like, like I said <laughs> earlier, <laughs> I, I just think it's just, I think I'll have... Not a better life. I'll just have the life that I've always wanted. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's it just like that's because I've been there so many times that I know exactly where to walk, where to ride a bike, where to drive a car. I know where to stop. I know where to sit. I know where to smell. I know where to see. I know what to experience. I think being in Canada, for the most part, I was raised in Canada. I don't have those senses. You know what I mean? Here anymore. I've experienced what I can experience here in Canada, and I'm not interested in experiencing any more of those opportunities here. Mm-hmm. Mind you, there's still lots of opportunity here. I'm not dismissing Canada. I'm just saying that there's better experiences for me there. It's not what you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. So, I mean, like, my parents never answered that question rightly. They'll never will. Um, but they, they made that decision for, for a reason, and then the family came over. But then when I go back there, I don't I can't put two and two together. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to me, right? But yeah. it's a different time now. Like the Azores now has actually grown up quite a bit. And it was very helped by the earthquake, you know, that happened where all the islands were assisted by the government, where, you know, you had a crack in a house, you got a whole new house, which was very helpful, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the Portuguese government was really nice about that to do that. Um, so then, you know, better roads, better homes, better infrastructure, everything better. And now you're getting a lot of tourists come there. So the Azores of today is much different than the Azores of yesterday. Because they've right? invested. Yeah. But historically, the islands were very much neglected. Oh, yeah. They 100%. were to themselves. I know. And that's something I do detail in the book, how, how they were so to themselves that the government influence was like non-existent, that you were pretty much at the disposal of the churches, the Catholic church. And even down to documentation. If you want to research your family history in the Azores, um, the government websites, you can find microfiche documents now yeah, yeah. online. Microfiche, yeah. Make sure you have your dates and your names and the villages. But those were um, privy to the churches. They were the, the gatekeepers of each village. <laughs> the government had no influence whatsoever on it, right? But it's different now. It's different now. There's a, they, they, they have that attention. They've built that infrastructure. Um, but I think a lot of that came after the revolution too, right? Because a lot of Portuguese will tell you like how bad it was at the time of Salazar, the regime and the dictatorship. That's why they wanted to leave. You go back now. Okay. You see the infrastructure, you see a different atmosphere. It looks very quaint and easy, simple, easy going. 
Um, but historically it wasn't like that. Right. Yeah. So when you factor in those political aspects too, that motivated them to leave, um, aside from the infrastructure and work and everything, it's, it's a totally different vibe. Right. So when we go back hundred percent, we don't recognize, we don't see it, what they left with. Yeah. Right. What's the, um, I, I know that in peak it's like, uh, at the slope period, it's like 15,000 population. I think in San Miguel, it's 150,000, right? Yeah, 150,000. That jumps up like considerably during the summer months, right? From what I understand, between Azores and Madeira, they're both nine islands and Madeira's four islands. Yeah. Uh, qu- uh, quarter million uh, for each archipelago. Oh, really? For each one? Yes. So how much does Madeira have? Like they have the bulk of it, I guess, right? Of that. Yeah, Madeira's four islands, but only two of them are inhabited. Okay. Um, so it's very much more, um, uh, urbanized. Yeah. Yeah. And then d- can you take direct flights from Canada to Madeira? Not yet. Oh, uh, you got to go to Portugal continent. First? So you either got to go through San Miguel, Ponta Delgado. San Miguel. How long is the flight from San Miguel to, to Madeira? It's an hour, hour and a half. That's it. Yeah. I thought it was a little further than that. Both ways from Lisbon or San Miguel. I've Still done an both. Hour, huh? It's 90 minutes. But it's an hour from San Miguel to Portugal continent. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's basically a triangle there. Pretty much. Yeah, it's more southern. It's yeah, closer yeah, to Africa. Yeah, it's very but they introduced uh, direct flights from JFK last year to Madeira. So I think that's coming to Toronto because the demand for Madeira right now is uh, it's popping off. I think they're going to introduce Boston, and I heard uh, Toronto's down the pipeline. Is it still SATA? Yeah. Such a monopoly, eh? Yeah. I can't stand it. But I mean, I guess because, unless you do TAP, right? But TAP, you have to deal with continent, right? And I don't, yeah, TAP does go to San Miguel and peak from the continent. Not from Canada. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. Things have may have changed since I last checked it out. But yeah, I've been on enough SATA flights for like to last me a long, long time. Right. <laughs> the, I, and I don't mind the prop planes. I love the prop planes. Right. So it's just like, they're great. It's fine. Uh, I just don't like that. There's, that's the price. Like you want to get a flight, you got to deal with them and that's it. You can't deal with anything else unless you become very, very wealthy. And all of a sudden you can just yeah. go private plane to, to the islands yeah. at that or, point. Or you fly commercial uh, Air Canada and. You know, but then you're going around the bow. You're stopping at a exactly, certain place. Exactly, you're doing pit right? stops. You're going to Lisbon to catch an easy jet. Yeah, yeah it's cheaper, yeah, yeah, but yeah. you're sticking your neck out for uh, travel time, right? Like there's sacrifice with that too, right? And then you were saying that. Um, so your kid has been there. I don't have kids. Oh, you know, I thought. Okay, sorry. I, I don't have kids. All right. Yeah. Just but are you going to plan on bringing them there if that happens, or that? Yeah. Yeah, I would definitely instill this heritage, this culture on them. At least make them familiar if they choose to adopt it. Um, great. But uh, I think it's important just to at least allude to it, share it. Um, but yeah, God willing, maybe one day we'll have kids. I think it's important. Like we've talked about it earlier on in the show here that it, I think it's just really, really valuable to share this, this culture to everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's in your family tree. Like it's part of your heritage. It doesn't matter if you're like the great, great grandchild of somebody. There's still some Azorian blood inside you that is connected to these islands, right? Mm-hmm. And you should at some point discover it. Absolutely. And, and understand it. You know, maybe they will at some point when they're much older, but I think late than never, better late than never kind of thing. Yeah, I exactly. don't know. I didn't discover it personally until I was um, 26. Yeah, that's when I was. I was, I, like, yeah, I was, I was like 25, 26. I was 23 when Vavu passed away. Uh, I think I said a different age earlier, but I think I was 23, 2012. And uh, that was like 
what instigated this, right? And that's when I took an interest. Yeah. Started writing everything. And I, in my opinion of it, it hasn't changed since then, right? So it's been a quarter century that I still have the same opinion of those islands that I ever did when I discovered it for the first time, mm-hmm. right? So it, just, it, it says something at that point. Yeah. Right. So I'll still have like, I mean, I've, I've had my share of being there and seeing the old men just walking around and sitting on the park benches or sitting at the cafe and just like rumbling, talking and stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's actually they look content, man. Yeah. Like that looks just that very, looks dope. dude. Yeah. Imagine <laughs> you, you're not in a rush. You're not antsy to go. Anywhere. You'll get to where you, you need to get to your time. Yeah. Even at the cafes, it's like. People would stop over in the morning. When I went in Porto, I saw a lot of this. People are on their way to work, riding the subway, whatever, walking. They stop in for a cafe, literally an espresso, and they're not, it's not a coffee to go. No. They get it in a glass cup. They're chatting with the, the barista or whatever, having a little shit, having a croissant, panku cage, whatever it is. See, my problem is that whenever I, I go a, to any of the cafes. You're in a rush to get to work? I, I always <laughs> ask for, I, I always ask, can I get? A cup and saucer? Can I take one? Can I buy one? Like this, I, I always do that. And they always look at me weird. Like I just like, can I have one? And I have several of them at home, right? Oh yeah. Because I enjoy like that's where I had an espresso, a certain cafe and whatever. And I, nice. I, I like stealing or buying these coffee cups, right? Something to do with everything. I don't know. Yeah. Seeking top tier windows? Look no further. Payne's Window Manufacturing is the ultimate choice for custom builders, contractors, and homeowners. Visit www.pains.com now to experience the pinnacle of quality and customization. Get your instant custom quote today. Elevate excellence with us. Plus, enjoy nationwide shipping across Canada and the U.S. They, they have so many of them, right? So yeah. it doesn't matter. For me, it's magnets. I like magnets. <laughs> <laughs> magnets and old money. I like collecting old Scooge and stuff like that, old Canadian money. But, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I still have my share of those as well. I'm, I'm a history fan, so I yeah. like looking back on that, and I like having treasures to look back on the share of people right so family come over yeah i have a collection of coins or my magnet board we've been here, here. Yeah, sure. did you get any family back there share other stories or share photographs or share anything while you were going through your travels and your research and everything um, so on my father's side unfortunately a lot of passed away yeah um but his first cousin victor morales he was a genealogist. He was a, he's still alive. Genealogist, uh, artist, painter, poet. Um, so a lot of the research I got was piggybacking off what Victor had done. Yeah. Um, but he has countless stories. And when you look at his publishings and the Azores uh, newspapers and stuff like that, um, there was a lot of fragments I would pick up from him. Um, but yeah, like as far as like interacting with, family members there it's mostly contained to my mother's side and again it's like you know by in passing they would relay stories of grandma or whatever yeah but um prompting them it's not like i should you know if you showed up with a list even i'm sure they would struggle to find the details right but yeah but uh, maybe I should do that. Go back with a list. I I, there was there was yeah, there was one year that I was there and I was traveling and then there was an older gentleman that he was running towards me. And, and I didn't know who this person was, but I was with a friend of my mom's with me at the time and he was running towards me to catch up to me and he knew exactly who I was. And he just comes up to me and he says, listen, I've got a photograph of your mom as a teenager. I think, I think she was like 17 or 18 years old, right? Climbing the mountain, right? With uh, me and my brother 
at the time, right? And I'm like, are you kidding me? And he goes, no. And he goes, I'll get you a copy of it. And it took the whole trip that I was there, but it finally he got me a copy of it. And he catches up to me again another time. And he gives me this photograph. And I swear to you, spitting image of my sister. Wow. Spitting image of my sister. Crazy. I was like stunned when I saw this photograph, right? And he had an eight, eight and a half by 11, black and white. And they're on the mountain. They all have their sticks, right? And I'm like, holy crap. Did you meet this guy before that interaction? No. He just knew. He just knew who I was. Yeah. And he he had this photograph. Yeah. He had this photograph that had to have been 30 some odd years old, even not older, right? And it was a spitting image of my older sister. And then I brought it back and I showed it to my mom. And then she's like, I remember that. She remembers that photo being taken. She remembers climbing the mountain that day. That's crazy. Right? And then she looks exactly like my sister. Like my, or my sister looked exactly like my mom. But that's a shining example of uh, the different recognition that people have here. We don't even look eye to eye in the subway, let alone make familiar faces walking That's down the, the street. That's the difference, yeah. You, you, know? wa you walk around, you get people sitting in their windows yeah. or looking out, and they recognize you. They know who you are. The word is out there, and that's yeah. what I love about it, right? And you'll wave. You'll say hello. People drive by, honk, and say hello. I love all that stuff. Yeah. It's poetic. It feels very uh, homey. Yeah. It feels like you belong there yeah. when that happens, right? Similar thing happened to me in, uh, in San Miguel. Uh, so my wife... Uh, her best friend, uh, we didn't discover this till later in life, but her best friend was neighbors. Her parents were neighbors with my mother back okay. home. Okay. We didn't make this connection till one day we happened to be at New Year's all together. Both my parents and her parents were there like, hey, Vizinha, what's going on? You two know each other? Like, it's so crazy. We took a trip back home together, visited Punta Delga. We were there for a fashta do um, San Cristo. Okay. And we go visit the, the little village. We go visit her aunts and uncles. And they knew me. Same, same thing. It's like, hey, I'm Devin. I know you. Your grandmother lived around the court. Literally the next street over. How, 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 do, you, how do you know me? I see it in your face. They you, just know it. You have her eyes. Yeah, have, they just know it. It's like, holy shit. I, I can't even make any connections like that in Toronto. Like these, It's a different pace of life, man. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. That way. And that's what I like about it because you'll always go back and discover something like that. And I've been back so many times that I've got photographs with kids. Like kids were just hanging out. We were just like shooting the shit or whatever. And now they're grown adults with their own families. Like that's just like 20 years has passed now, right? And all yeah. of a sudden, like it's been, yeah, it's been 24, 25 years that I've been going back to that place. Yeah. So it's like I've seen a lot of people grow up as a result of this, right? Making history for day, buddy. No, that's it's just and that, that, that's and where the value is. That's why I can't understand why my siblings don't see it, but they just don't see it. I guess because at some point you get stuck in your ways where you are. Is, is it where you're supposed to be? Great. I mean, a lot of people. This is probably perfect. This is great for them. This is what they want to achieve, and this is like the white picket house and the family, and this is what I'm going to do. Since day one, it's never been that way for me. It's never been that way for me. And, and I think that was reassured when I went there for the first time to the Azores. And I was like, this is what's supposed to be going on. Mm. Like the, just as much as it's noisy, it's the silence of the Azores that I love. Like I, I miss all the sounds. I completely miss all the sounds, right? Because none of those sounds are recognizable here. They're not, they don't exist the same place here. No. Right? It's completely different. It's like, different aura. Yeah. Right now, I just like, I'm, I'm hearing the sound of the black gravel under your feet when you're walking on paths. Mm. It's a different sound. And if you walk along the ocean and you're hearing that water hit the, the black lava rock, it's a different sound. Yeah. Just the birds, everything else. It's just like, it's different. It's completely different. That's yeah. what you miss about it, right? It's different. 
But uh, I don't know. Maybe every family, maybe this isn't a, a common thing across family members. Because looking at my father's generation, uh, cousin Victor, he was the one to document. Everyone just moved on. They carried on with their lives. Nobody looked back. Um, I happen to be the one, I guess, now for my generation. So maybe, uh, I don't know, is this something you're born with? Or is it a commonality across families that, you know, there's only, there's only one? I, I'm meeting more and more children of immigrants. And they don't have an interest to go back to where the family's Not widespread, from. but there's probably going to be one. Yeah. There's always one. But the thing is, is, the families are getting smaller, so you have fewer people. Like, we're five kids, right? Yeah. So I'm the fourth, and I'm the only one, right? Yeah. So it's like, if it, today's family is like two, three kids, if that. Most kids, most families are one kid. So you got one shot of a kid trying to figure out what their history is, their family history, right? Yeah. I think it's I think it's just important to dive into and try to figure out where that came from and why it came from or maybe why you're a certain way or what you're interested in, right? Like I'm interested in all that culture back there, architecturally, art, art history, all that, like all that stuff is in, of interest to me, right? Mm -hmm. More so than here. I've always been a European guy. Even before construction and I was in film production, my very first reel and I started putting stuff together and I'm showing it to agents to get representation. They're like, your reel looks very European. And I'm like, that's what I am. That's my, like, that's before I even was there and being there, but that's what I, I guess, gravitated towards, connected with. Yeah. So it's like, it, it, it was, it made sense for someone, complete stranger to look at my work and go, it's very European. And I'm like, okay, well. Maybe you're born with this, Manny. I think, I think everybody has that, but yeah. I think at some point you get to a certain age where you forget it or you've lost it or you're not interested in it anymore because you're so focused on the life that's right in front of your face. Yeah. And I'm like, I've, I've always had an interest in history, but before I, I dug into like Azorian Portuguese history, it was my neighborhood. I was very much interested in Toronto history and what that looked like, right? Um, but yeah, once I dove into the Portuguese thing, uh, it, was, it was emblematic of like what I recognized, like the, the allusions to growing up, family stories at the table. Like, so it hit different, but I've always had an interest in that. And the writing, I've always wrote. I, my earliest memory of writing was uh, in grade school. And at that time, I was very much into horror movies. Hmm. Like in the 90s, when Scream came out, and there was Goosebumps and these, you know, these uh, scary novels at that time. So my class would actually do reading time. And I remember my earliest memory was writing little novellas. I'd write it on lined paper. I'd glue it together, do a cover. And I would rent out my books to my classmates. Hmm like five cents for the 20 <laughs> minutes but uh yeah naturally i've always written and once i took an interest in history it kind of just it just sort of blended together i was like, okay i'm gonna start writing blurbs and it just grew and grew and then now my writing's expanded to uh you know travel journals and a lot of nonfiction. like i write when elicited mm -hmm. i write when i'm called upon it's not i don't have a daily routine it's when it happens when i find a stride i write um but it, a lot of it 99% of it's inspired by true stories. Uh, so outside of Portuguese heritage, I've written, you know, trials and tribulations about being married, uh, health. We've had fertility troubles, what that's like. And okay. just, I write for myself as a way of understanding what's happening. And um, hopefully the words I put out can resonate with readers and find, you know. They are. They will. Like I told you, I, I connected with your book just from the cover. 
alone. <laughs> it was like I already knew where this was going to go. I just, I, I understood it. Th- that's one of Vavu's first photos in Toronto. So after his uh, contract in BC, he came to Toronto. And we all know Kensington Market was the big hub for yep. Portuguese. Yep. So they had a lot of boarding homes yep. at that time when he came in 1958. Uh, so that was a boarding home he found on Nassau Street um, that was taken in the kitchen of the home there. So that's one of the first photos in Toronto of him. And yeah, it's, he looks content. He looks like he's, he's doing it. He's achieving it. That, yeah, but that's okay. But that's also still three years before his wife and everybody else. About two years. Two yeah. years, eh? Yeah. You he's know. holding it together. Yeah, yeah of course. Right? That's what I mean. He's like that with well, that one moment there, right? Yeah. Back when mustaches actually look great, right? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't know if most guys. I, I see a guy today with a mustache, and I'm like, you can't pull it off, man. Yeah. I, I don't know if you maybe need the hardships behind that mustache to actually pull off the mustache. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the mustache looks great, right? Are you working on another book right now, currently? Uh, another? Not at the moment. Uh, I'm just. I write articles, so okay. uh, I have a lot of uh, stories shared and newspapers and aiming towards like literary journals and stuff. So um, I share all that on my blog, on my Instagram. You can keep updated. Uh, I share a lot of like home videos and stuff too, photos, um, you know, digital media and stuff like that. Um, But at the moment, no, not explicitly a book, but down the pipeline. Absolutely. Uh, I do enjoy writing and it's, it's healing for me and I, you know, whatever I could share with readers and help them discover pieces of themselves or, resonate with them uh that's fulfilling for me so it's it's very do you think your parents t- uh, take your book and they're like highlighting certain passages like just rereading certain passages um i think dad i think he's read pieces of it i don't think he's read in its entirety oh really yeah huh? yeah dad's not much of a reader i know but still like D- dad likes old movies dad likes turner classic and stuff like that old media Black and whites? Black and whites. He American loves that old stuff. movies? Yes, he loves that stuff. He loves okay. the old black and white television shows he grew up with. Um, but reading, that is not much of a reader. My mother read it, and she would call me and say, I didn't know this happened. I didn't know the story about Vavu or uh, the contention between neighbors back home. And it, like, yeah. Oh, I, mean, I, know, I know all yeah. of them. Yeah. I know all of them, man. What's, uh, how come you don't like rice pudding? I don't know. Never got flavor of it? No. Even I got burned. Like, I, I couldn't wait one time, and I just started eating it fast, and I got burned. Like, I burned my mouth, and I'm like, I still love it. I'll always no, I don't it, like right? it. I don't like it. Rice is a side dish. I don't know. In it's, the form it, of a dessert, it's, it's just the, it's it's weird. It's uh, the salt fish for me. I can't And pudding. Stand. I don't like pudding, I guess. Maybe that's no, I'm not a pudding guy either, but, I mean, I do like rice pudding. And then recently, I found someone made um, creme brulee rice pudding that I got to try one day. Oh, yeah? Because like it. it has, well, it has, like, I love creme brulee. Like, and all of a sudden, it's I like creme brulee too. But, but I mean, rice pudding inside instead of like the actual egg and uh, cream uh, inside. But I'm too mushy. Fine. Too mushy. Was there any, any Portuguese dishes that you like? I don't, I don't love all of them, but I do love a bunch of them. Oh, yeah. I mean, in Madeira, I like uh, ishptada, yeah. which is meat on a stick, yeah. uh, that type of thing. I like ervilhas uh, greladas, which okay. is like a pea soup. Kind yeah. of stew with like yeah. eggs. It's very Azorian. Um, feijoada, like a bean stew. Uh, obviously, bacalhau. Codfish. I'm not a... Well, codfish, yeah, but not the actual whole fish. I'm not a big fan of it. Uh, it's just Like too, on its own. Yeah, it's, yeah. Too, it's too salty for me, man. Yeah, yeah. Way too salty for yeah. me. But I like it as like a concoction, like uh, bacalhau. Yeah, mixed in. Yeah. Flavor. Added. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's funny. I came across, I think I was... 
bored one evening and I was just doing some searches on YouTube about Azorian videos and stuff like that. And I came across a couple of chefs, American chefs that actually picked up and left there and moved there, set up in San Miguel. And they're loving it. They're absolutely loving it. They have a restaurant, a simple restaurant. They're just cooking meals there. And they have friends that come and visit every so often from either Europe or from the United States. And they, they like, we're never leaving. That's all they say. We're never leaving. This yeah. is our place. They go to the market. They go get everything fresh. And I'm like, yeah. There's one guy follow on Instagram, uh, Danny Raposo. He's one. He's like okay. the stoner chef. He was like on uh, okay, Master Chef Canada. All right. But he's an example that moved over there. So I see his life trajectory there. Move there, same same concept. You I've had plenty of conversations with a few Portuguese guys, especially most of them coming from San Miguel. That they're like, "Listen, man, I'm just planning my, I'm planning my deck of cards. Uh, eventually, I'm going to get there, and they're they're trying to figure out how they can connect the construction over there and build maybe over there. Yeah. There's thoughts and conversations about building Airbnbs there or something like that, and and just like tapping into that market because I think that there's a lot of opportunity now in the Azores. Big time. Huge amount of opportunity. Big time. Devin, thanks so much. I got to do the 12 questions. Uh, you can reach him out at uh, on Instagram at Luso Looney and then on his website, www.lusolooney.ca. Uh, you ready for these? Yeah, let's do it. Actually, well, these are construction ones, but we'll see what happens. Uh, what is your favorite construction word? Uh, improvement. Improvement. Yeah. What is your least favorite tool? Tool? Um Sawzall is scary to me, but uh, when I work around the house, the, the stud finder, it's unreliable. I hate that thing. You got to get a Franklin. A Franklin? Okay. Go to Amazon and just buy a Franklin. Okay. I personally think the Franklin's the best one. Um, it's more of a wider, and it'll actually give you, it's got like six or seven dots, six dots, I think, six lines on the top, and it'll give you the stud from the beginning to the end of it. Okay. And it's very, very reliable. Mine's, mine's a piece of shit. Like, no, so. you need 9-volt battery. Uh, but yeah, no, the Franklin, I think, is a very good one. I have it. Okay. I, I enjoy it. I saw someone using it on some sort of post, and I was like, yeah, that one makes sense. Let me give it a try. Because you pay so much money for these, and then they're crappy. Yeah, it's unreliable. It's got like 10 in 1. And then you make the move, and it's just drywalls. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> what construction sound do you love? Um, I like the sound of the clutch of a drill. You know when you get... A nail or a screw in the it wall. Kicks like, in? Yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite beverage? Uh, I like cider. Okay. Cider. And I'm a sucker for Coke, but I got to be cognizant of that. So I try to limit <laughs> myself like one a day, if that. What's the worst and best part of construction? Best part? Timelines. Planning. Very much a coordinator like that. Um, worst part? When it doesn't go to plan. Shit falls apart. Yeah, Problems. True. Problems. Yeah. Favorite curse word? God damn it. Fuck. What is your favorite vehicle? Anything. Any mode of transportation? Bicycle. Bicycle? Any particular bike? Uh, No, just... Road any. or mountain? Road bike. Okay. Yeah. I miss my Bianchi. I bought a Bianchi a long, long time ago. Oh, I love... Especially in the in the summer. Just take your but time. Ride a bike. Oh, no subway. No dri Driving's aggravating. Driving, it is in this city, and yeah. the problem is that if you get a bicycle and then you get a motorcycle, you quickly leave the bicycle alone. Oh, is that right? And you spend more time on the motorcycle. I've never ridden a, a motorcycle, other no. than like being a passenger, and that was like as a I've kid. I've been on a scooter in the Azores. I've never ridden a motorcycle, and I'm, I'm loving, I would love to ride a motorcycle in the Azores. Mm -hmm. I would love to ride it. I think that would be absolutely like, because on our island, you can drive it in two and a half hours, the whole perimeter of it, right? If you don't stop really, right? Yeah. 
So it's like, I wouldn't do that, but you could spend an entire day on a motorcycle and I would just love to just drive the whole perimeter of the island. Yeah, it would probably be fun. I totally like, um, what do you miss from your childhood? Uh, going to grandma's house after school. Yeah. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt one day? TV producer, video producer, oh, movies. Yeah? Any particular format? Um, I'm a fan of professional wrestling, so okay. I always dreamed of like being a booker. That's what you, you know, it's the TV producer. You book the matches, you book where the trajectory of the storylines are going, who's going over, you know. Did you see Iron Claw? <laughs> I did. Yeah. Loved I haven't it. seen it yet. I heard it's really good, but I heard it's extremely sad. It's extremely sad. It's very somber. <laughs> it's very, uh, very depressing. It'll tug story. at everything, eh? What's that? It'll tug at everything. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But it's very well done. Zach Efron, great lot of performance, yeah. and um, through the sadness and depressing pieces, the way they brush over some of it, like they don't really go in depth in some of these hard hitting. Because uh, it's too much. It's too much, dude. Yeah. It's like really that family well went through so much. And then I just recently read that there was a fifth brother too. Yeah, they left him out of the movie. And it was because a, of his, what he, he went through. It, it was a calamitous ending for him too. So they <sighs> left him out. But watching in the theater, everybody was crying at the end of the movie. <laughs> you saw it in the theater. It was like, holy shit, that movie was sad. Yeah. No, I heard really good things about it, especially with Zach. I mean, he really did a good job. And, and it's just. Oh, like, and uh, Jeremy Allen White. Yeah. Like they, awesome. They, I think it was the right cast to put everybody together, but it was just like, and I even like, um, I'm trying to remember his name, the dad. Um, what's his real name? I'm trying, I forget his name. I, he's I, he's I a great character him. actor that I've seen him in so many projects. I, right? It's the first time I saw him, but he oh, was good. Oh, he's been in everything. He's been in all kinds of David Fincher films. He was in a Netflix series, uh, Mindhunter. He was one of the original FBI agents that started the program on behavioral science and, oh, and uh, interviewing serial killers. Oh. He's, he was a great character actor. I love oh, he's him. good in the movie. Like yeah. very uh, hard, he, like very determined he the father. Dad. He played that hard dad. ass. Right. Yeah. He did it really good. Uh, what profession would you not like to do? Um, construction. <laughs> <laughs> the line forms right here. Uh, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at those pearly gates? Uh, no words. Just give me a dab. Shake my hand. That's all he needs to do. Yeah. Devin, man, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming in and Thanks, being on man. the show. It's and I'm so glad you. that he introduced us and we connected. And I'm looking forward to giving him a read and checking them out. And I'll look forward to the other things that you're going to write and put it up there. So thank you so much, man. Thank you. I appreciate, appreciate it. it, man. Angelina, we are out of here.